Crack, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. We talked to University of Wisconsin women's cross-country coach Mackenzie Vartenberger about how her experiences as an athlete, including being a highly ranked prep athlete and the anxiety that came with that, have informed her coaching today. She talks about navigating the student-athletes through the pandemic, some of the conflicting emotions involved in being a woman climbing the coaching ladder, and how her current crop of student-athletes are of a unique generation. Though some criticize this generation as being soft, they are compassionate and awake. As she notes, they social distance, they wear masks, they respond to the California wildfires, and they participated in a Black Lives Matter movement as active anti-racists by protesting the murder of Jacob Blake by police in Kenosha and amplifying and supporting the voices of their Black teammates in solidarity. Which reminds us to remind you of a socially conscious act. Make your voting plans today. Are you registered? Are you mailing it in? You'll need extra time. Get moving, guys. Thanks for keeping track. Welcome back, everybody, to Keeping Track, episode two of our second season. I'm back again with Alicia, and we are missing Roisin. Shout out to Ro. Uh, She'll be back soon, but it's just the two of us. Alicia. Just the two of us. Yes, Rosine's still out on maternity leave. Still, still. So you guys, not still. She just had a baby. It's a Rasheen very short. is out. We yes. miss her. That's why it feels like still. Um, no. But a lot's going on. A lot is going on and not going on at the same time. <laughs> right? Yes. The old it's restless such- anxiety that I've been oh, bathing in. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. You know, Molly has gotten such a yeah, she's she's been my r- roommate for years on the circuit, so she's kind of known a little bit deeper pieces of me that we don't necessarily share with, you know, our sponsors, our partners. But I feel like I'm always rounding it to be like, guys, like keep this over here or keep this here because I've been having such a hard time just like stay focused on this one thing because there's so many things that are just looming in the doom that I have to make a lane for things. Um, and I don't know if anybody else feels like that. And if you do, you're not alone. That's what I have to say about that. Um, but then it, there's a restlessness too, because there's so much yeah. you can't do. So I find the combination to be really weird energy. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think also for me, you know, I'm, all, I'm doing all, there's so much you can't do that you want to do, but I'm also yeah. doing a lot. Um, I feel like I am facing a little bit of, especially like this whole last year, because I was in, you know, I had just different health things, you know, and pregnancy where I was just like exhausted, fatigued. Then you're like having a baby and you're exhausted, fatigued, and then you're coming out of it and you're stuck. And I just felt like I slowly, I kind of just hit the bed super flat. I've been trying to protect myself um, from being too overwhelmed and, you know, like keeping work to emails or, you know, not spilling every slot of the day, even though I kind of did that in the beginning where I had to like remove it because then also, Lou was getting a lot of that pain. Um, so just right now, I think the biggest thing I, I'm trying to do is focus on mental health because as much as you don't think it's going to affect you at the time when you're trying to get everything done, 
it will catch up. It's like when you pack on miles and you're like, oh, I feel so good. I'm just going to keep running. I'm not going to take a rest day. I'm not going to take a rest week. Not saying like I haven't been trying to rest, but still you just keep packing on things. We're saying, oh, okay, I can just do that. Mm-hmm. It's going to force later, you to rest. You start to get really tired. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I just faced that. But, um, and I think part of it for us in California is our air quality was it, like, it was hazardous. We had hazardous air quality. We were already like having in and out um, unhealthy to okay, moderate hair, air quality for the last month. And then coming into that was like, okay, seriously, I can't mm-hmm. even go outside. I have three small kids. So that was, um, yeah, hard the outdoors for... was a lot of people's only escape. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't run outside. The whole West Coast is just yeah. too smoky and on fire. Can't go know. outside. Can't go inside. Where do I just mm-hmm. in your like little compound? So that was, mm-hmm. that was hard. Um, and what about, you know, what about you, Molly? Well, luckily we don't have fires here. Um, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> um, do come over. <laughs> Start driving. Now. I know. Um, but I've been training. Uh, we're just trying to, yeah, put a few little meets on the schedule again. Um, been working on a few projects and just, yeah, it's just kind of a strange time. Like you said, like there's a lot of busy stuff going on via technology, but not like, it still doesn't feel like your all systems go, which is frustrating. Mm-hmm. 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 Totally. It's, it's an interesting time. And even today, you know, we have fresh air. I'm like, oh my God. And I have meetings set up. I'm like, what am I doing? I was just dying that I like everything. Yesterday I did do that. I was like, everything is canceled. You know, I just like, I can't do, I need to just go be, find that. We have the smallest pocket of fresh air and I didn't think it was going to, it's like pretty green right now. And it was like impossible that that was even going to happen. I was just like. You have to go outside and take that opportunity. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It was like this big of a pocket. And I was like, out, canceled. Sorry, I'm not coming to that meeting, guys. I like, I know everybody understood, you know, but it was just one of those things. Sometimes you have to say, you know, me first. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, with that said, you know, I think we are, I, I'm getting kind of like middle ground frustrated with just the truth behind how people are able to express a need, you know, like, it's like, oh, but this is going to just make you that much more resilient. But I'm like, you guys, we don't need to prove how resilient we are right now. We are seriously all trying to survive. We know that we are resilient. We can talk about it, but at the same time, we need to allow people space to breathe, Mm -hmm. truly, like actually breathe. So right now I'm really thinking about, um, people with really terrible air quality still right now, not just, we're not out of the woods. Like it can Mm -hmm. definitely blow right back over us. And likely will. Um, but in Oregon right now, it is literally hazardous air quality. And they've been facing that for a couple of days now. Um, probably about a week, actually. Mm-hmm. I just yeah, don't even know what I've, date it is. Yeah. I've talked to a few runners or Kurtz talked to some athletes out there and they said, you know, some of them are lucky and can run on treadmills. Some of them can't, then they don't know where to go. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's hard. It's dangerous to be exercising mm-hmm. outside. Exactly. And even inside, if you don't have your air filtration system on and it's mm-hmm. not, you haven't checked your filter, it's kind of like you're literally trapped. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I was like trying to figure out what our deal was going to be trying to get to Hawaii. I was like, how long do we have to quarantine for? We're out of here. <laughs> like we either take our risks of the air inside of an airplane or air out here. So anyways. 
We're thinking of, I'm thinking of you, I'm thinking of everyone on the whole western half of the country right now because it just seems like, you know, sort of like the straw that could break the camel's back as far as people's sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, So hang in there. (laughs) Thank you. So, you know, we had... Um, speaking of, you know, not making resilience too much of a cliche, but uh, an amazing interview today with um, Coach Mackenzie Varsenberger, and she's shared a lot about her her resilience as a person in terms of, but resilience has come through her own struggles as an athlete facing anxiety and now going into coaching and being able to use that part of her story. So it is true, like things do come out on the other side for some way or another, but um, she also had to face face that so that she can be better for where she is right now. And so I really appreciated that interview with Coach Brattenberger. Um, What were your thoughts? Yeah, Mackenzie was great. She is at Wisconsin since last summer. So she's at a Big Ten school, a big program. Um, It's a big deal. And she's been coaching since 09, since she graduated from Cal. Um, And she was a great athlete, but she had a lot of hard lessons too. You know, she had a lot of talent, but it came with some some struggles. Um, and so I think a lot of great coaches learn from their mistakes, right? It's like your chance to kind of um, do it over again through your athletes and, and lead them in the way you, that you went wrong before. So I think that's great. She acknowledges that and talks about how um, sort of that, that performance anxiety piece um, is something that can really derail a career. But if you empower the athlete to kind of use it to get their best performance out, you know, like they're going to use that their whole life. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a really great perspective. Totally. I, I love that too. I love the fact that I think when you're in the sport world or you're in that industry, I think, um, you know, it becomes your whole world and seeing how it affects your life outside of it, just being about the oval or just being about that, you know, start to finish. Um, you can really learn a lot of lessons in your life and how you're able to handle things and like and how it also plays into other parts of it um other parts of your life anxiety and pressure it's like you're never going to be able to escape it it's going to be there in some way or another and so learning to work with it i think um is amazing that that's how she's been able to what she's been bringing to her athletes and not only that i think um i don't know i felt enlightened by her to be honest uh which is funny because you know, I was the, the senior athlete when we were at the University of Cal Berkeley together. Um, and now to kind of flip that around, I think that's also a good thing to just recognize is like, we learn a lot from, I mean, she's only a year younger than me, but still like the younger generation. Sometimes when we're older, I think that there's this air of like, I, I'm the teacher. I'm not saying I feel that way, but I just, people the in expectation general. Expectation the expectation, yeah. right. And to know that you can always learn from someone else regardless of age and time and experience and the way that you've experienced things. So um, it's nice for us to all be different and to listen to each other's stories and to kind of think of how we can lift one another up. Yeah. And it was a really interesting perspective um, on coaching in the age of COVID because it is just not a normal situation right now. And so um, when she got to Wisconsin, basically she had an indoor and outdoor season canceled and now you know, people quarantining over the summer, the kids are back, but they're having all these extra precautions and last minute changes. So she kind of takes us through like, how are they navigating that? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of what a lot of schools are going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, everybody 
have a listen. Mackenzie is amazing. Or as if you know her as coach Frautenberger, any, um, teammates, old teammates of mine. Um, if you know her as Mackenzie Pierce, this is your girl. She's amazing. And, um, I look forward to, uh, sharing this podcast with you guys. Thanks for keeping track. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Keeping Track. I'm your host, Alicia Montano, with my co-host, Molly Huddle. Today, we still have Rasheen McGinnigan on maternity leave. Um, today, we have a very special guest, Mackenzie Vartenberger. You might know her as Mackenzie Pierce from her amazing um, days as in pre-collegiate athlete, high school athlete, <laughs> and a post uh, and a collegiate athlete. Um, Mackenzie boasts a PR of 204 um, in the 800 going into high school, I mean, into college, sorry. And she was a part of our NCAA um, amazing powerhouse 400, 800, four by four team at the University of California at Berkeley. Go Bears. And also um, she's majored in peace conflict studies, which is, um, I think, great for the times right now i don't hate saying the times right now because i'm like this has been the times uh but great for coaching too great yeah coaching. with with, <laughs> with exactly with everything going on and then with coaching and so tying the two in there anyways um let's keep going so uh, mackenzie has moved into coaching from uh after graduating college 2009-2013 at unc charlotte as an assistant coach and then um 2013 to 14 she was head coach at radford and then University of Utah, where she is a women's cross country coach for four years and brought the ladies to NCAA cross country championships. And she um, coached fellow Saucony runner Grayson Murphy. That's shout for, out uh, to Grayson. <laughs> and shout out to Saucony for Molly. Uh, and um, since 2019, she has been the head women's cross country coach at the Big Ten School, University of Wisconsin. Um, that was a lot for me, everybody. <laughs> so that's incredible. I mean, I know Mackenzie for uh, since you know she, she started school in two thousand five with me. Yeah, um, forever. So just yeah, and so I feel like all those things when you're friends with somebody and you've known them for so many other things, when you start like listing off all these amazing things, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Mackenzie, <laughs> congratulations on an amazing life that you have a lot more to live. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> This is what happens when you let me kick it off, Molly. I know. You read the whole thing. I do. I like to get everybody's facts. And then um, we went deep with Mackenzie. So you know some of the stats. But yes. Mackenzie. It's wild because it feels like I've been out of college for like 15 minutes and also 150 years. Yes. So hearing all those years tick by, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But you've been, it. you've been climbing the ranks in the coaching world. And um, we can get to that. I think we should start, though, with your college career, because I know with a lot of coaches, you're informed by what you did as an athlete. And, um, you know, your athletes aren't you, but I know you learned so much as an athlete. So can you talk to us a little bit about your college years uh, at Cal and um, just kind of how that journey was as an athlete? Because you made it to a high level NCAAs, USAs. How was that? Yeah, you know, I loved it. And of course, I was incredibly lucky to have an amazing training partner in Miss Alicia Johnson Montano. Um, it's which was awesome. me up, guys. I, I felt really lucky to have been at Cal at a time when, you know, you know, Alicia, obviously having you there was was transformative, but we had such an incredible group. Um, you know, 
from Alicia to our incredible sprinters and jumpers, you know, and, and I look at how that, that group that I was lucky enough to be there with, you know, you've got Martin Marich, who's coaching at UVA. You've got Brooke Turner, who is doing like taking over Hollywood and writing screenplays and producing. Um, you've got so many coaches and so many just high achievers at, at so many levels, doctors, lawyers, like you name it. Um, David Torrance, obviously, um, was, was a, an incredible force while, while I was there and, and just an incredible team to be around. Um, College was wild. I mean, you know, I'm a peace and conflict studies major from Berkeley, which is just like apex Berkeleyness. Like just, <laughs> I was such a poli sign nerd, um, but I loved it. You know, I, I think also for me, uh, I came in to school, a really good high school prep. Um, and so it was a part of this incredible moment in time at Cal, but also really struggled personally as an athlete with anxiety and expectation. And so for me, I think what I bring to coaching is, yeah, I was lucky enough to be, have great teammates and coaches that helped me, you know, get to a high level and go to U.S. championships and go to the NCAA championships. But I also really struggled with some of the pressures that come along with those things and wasn't successful in, a, in handling those in a lot of ways. So for me, the decision to get into coaching was more seeing, hey, you know, I think my perspective that isn't all success, you know, there's some incredible coaches out there that have been Olympians and they've been national champions. And those people bring amazing experiences to this profession. Um, I like to think that I can bring some of that elite level performance perspective, but also this other side of things where, you know, I made every mistake in the book as a college athlete. I tell my women all the time, I'm like, listen, I know what doing it wrong looks like because I did all of it wrong so many times. So I can recognize it. So you're not going to be able to like pull the wool over my eyes. Like I, I can spot it. Um, but also just kind of that, that richness of experience, you know, the highs and the lows, I think are important perspective givers for me when I'm, when I'm working with women, whether that's a, or, and men, whether that's a walk-on who's just trying to build up and being put in positions of pressure for the first time, or it's, you know, a highly sought after national or international recruit that is maybe trying to make an Olympic team, is trying to make their first U.S. championships, feels the real pressure to need to score points at a mm -hmm. Big Ten or national championship meet. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's kind of a balanced thing. I, I loved my time at college, but it was also bar none, some of the most challenging years of my life. And I think mm -hmm. that bringing that balanced perspective is, is a good thing in coaching. Yeah. And I want to just kind of give a little bit of um, um, context to Mackenzie talking about, you know, bringing in her perspective um, as an athlete who struggled with anxiety, but also bring in elite performance. Mackenzie, uh, we, we mentioned earlier her PR of a 204 coming into college, and now that might not, you know, shatter <laughs> records or anything like that. But for us at that time, just to put it into context again, she was, I think, fourth in the nation. Yeah. Fourth in the nation, like in the nation, you guys, in all of the United <laughs> States of America at that time. Um, you know, we were really focused on high school as like athletes that were like overall encompassing. There was no like um, people zeroing in on just running track, which is what a lot of high school students are doing right now. Um, so that was just an, a, an amazing time to run. Again, putting into perspective, I was a 208 runner um, coming into college. 
And so, and I've gotten to 157. So again, Mackenzie's experience, her ability, her natural ability um, is one that if you can look at that trajectory um, could have top charts um, if there was more support in helping athletes manage um, anxiety. So I really thank you for that, um, yeah. honestly, because I think it's, it's so put on the back burner that um, even elite athletes, athletes like myself, don't have any sort of feelings of anxiety when it comes to um, performance, when it comes to, you know, being on top and then staying there and what happens when you're not there. And then, you know, I, you might have escaped let's run forums and things like oh that. God. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, true. yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think, um, we were in this really, you know, and we were all sort of contemporaries in college, uh, you know, for a time there. And we were in this really strange time when I think that high schoolers and college women were really starting to run really fast. Um, but the support, you know, I, I look at what we're able to do now for NCAA athletes in terms of physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological support. And so much of that was so absent. I mean, I was getting, and I, you know, my college coach, Alicia, our college coach had almost had his PhD in psychology and knew more than most. And I was still getting on a train by myself for like 45 minutes, one direction twice a week to see a sports psychologist on my own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the resources that these men and women have available to them now are so great. Um, and I think, the NCAA in general is taking a much more serious approach to supporting student athletes as people and not just as like runners or throwers or jumpers or basketball players. But I, it also creates the challenge of needing to be able to navigate those things. And I think as coaches now, our big challenge is, okay, we have this, this toolbox and we have all of these resources, but so much of our coaching population is, is from, you know, the old school. And I include myself in that when I started coaching, having an on-campus sports psychologist was unheard of. I mean, we couldn't even give the student athletes food. All of that has changed over the last 11 years. So I think being agile and being nimble about directing men and women towards those resources um, is a challenge for a lot of coaches. And it's something that I think having, you know, realizing how much I would have personally benefited um, from those things as a, as a student athlete, it helps me, I think, take a, take better advantage of like the holistic wellness resources that we're lucky to have at Wisconsin, but in general, I think exist a lot more in the NCAA now than they used to. Yeah, it seems like um, over the last decade, they, that kind, those kind of topics have become more out in the open, like things like eating disorders, energy deficiency, um, depression, anxiety, you know, coaches can talk to athletes about like, with female athletes about their menstrual cycle, like it's all gotten a little more, um, less, a little gotten less taboo over the years, which is great. Cause I feel like now you're seeing like more resources available. Um, do you have any anecdotes about, or like stories from your college years about how you maybe struggled with anxiety or at a particular meet? You know, I think um, from my personal experience was literally every meet. You know, even like from an invitational to a oh, big gosh. meet. Yeah. I mean, the only way for me to walk into a meet and feel good about it was to have like no expectation at all. 
Um, so, I mean, it would be days of mental prep and like going into this typically really misguided, really dark headspace before races and the bigger the race, the worse it was. Like you thought that was required nearly? Yeah, because I, you know, I think once you start to struggle, um, to meet that level of expectation, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh my gosh, it's going to happen again. Oh my gosh, I'm going to struggle again. Um, I think especially for, you know, I've seen this for my men and women that I've coached over the years that come in as really good preps, the expectations there immediately, you know, it's not like you slowly work your way up the ranks and then all of a sudden now I'm good. It's you come in, you know, I think about, you know, we were just seeing, you know, Sydney Torpelson, who's an incredible prep out of Wyoming and she just ran an insane 5k. Awesome. I mean, the kid's a stud, like she's going to do big things, but the challenge is I just said that she's going to do big things. Right. So she just ran a 5k that would put her up there with elite college women. You know, what happens when she doesn't run that in her first or second or third or 10th college race, because college is hard and it's different. Um, you know, I think that, we've seen high schoolers really start to evolve in terms of what they can do and what the training they have and their accessibility to each other. So they're sharing workouts and they're sharing uh, race plans and there's, you know, the Brooks PR and the New Balance Nationals um, and they see each other all the time. So they're getting so good. I mean, Alicia, you said this earlier, you know, 204 used to be good. Now it's like, damn, every state's got one of those. You have to be, you have to be like sub 203 to just be a good high school runner now. Um, so I, I think that that creates a lot of challenges for these, especially young women. I mean, it definitely applies to men as well, but I think especially for young women when they get to the next level, because college is not the same thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a, if you're a 206, 800 meter runner and you're running that whole race in a pack and then you're getting, worked on that last 50 meters like that's a whole different deal than being 50 meters in front of your competition like smoking everyone um so again i think that that has i think the perspective of just knowing like how little i enjoyed so much of college competition because i was so wrapped up in just trying to avoid the worst case scenario um mm -hmm. has helped me i hope bring some perspective to my women at Wisconsin, the women at Utah, the men and women that I've coached at my other universities. Um, and it's tough because there's times where I have to, I've got to put my coach hat on and be like, yo, Jane, you know, we needed three more people in that cross country race. Like we, we, next time you've got to work that last 80 meters harder because every point matters. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a delicate balance between applying pressure when it's necessary because we're trying to win. <laughs> we're mm -hmm. not a charity, you know, this is division mm -hmm. one, power five, run, you know, track and field and cross country. But, um, but also making sure that I'm helping create women that feel like they can handle pressure in all contexts, whether it's yeah. a racer or a professional or a mother or a wife or a partner, you know, pressure exists forever in our mm -hmm. lives. Um, mm -hmm. And I do think it's something that a lot of people, you know, um, we in sport, if you tear a hamstring, you rehab the hamstring and you don't hide the fact that you have a torn hamstring. And, and that's something that you work on. If you struggle mentally with anxiety or with expectation or depression or any of those things, um, that's really internalized still. That's not something that's spoken about it's not something that's shared i think there's still a lot of shame that is kind of 
applied to that struggle instead of just treating it like a muscle. You know, when you strain a muscle, you've got to rehab the muscle and then you've got to strengthen the muscle. And then sometimes that muscle still hurts and you've got to back off. And from a mental perspective, I think a similar approach can be really helpful to treat it like a normal process that isn't linear. It's not flipping a light switch. Um, but I don't think that's something that we are hundred percent doing with our student athletes. So that's a perspective that I try to bring to coaching as much as possible. I'll quit rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not at all. Actually, I'm feeling pretty enlightened and just, I, I see a lot of connectivity just, you know, in everything that you're sharing right now. And especially when it comes to pressure um, and thinking about um, where my kids will be in terms of their support, if they do enter sport or anything else for that matter, because right. I do think that we're entering too much of a, you know, all participant friendly zone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not the parent on the side. I'm like, hey, Sal, she found my kid, you know, but also on the other side of like, it's okay, let him have the ball, like run alongside of him. Like when I play, play soccer, um, pre-COVID and <laughs> played, hopefully. Um, and they were literally just running alongside the other team, you know, being like, oh, I didn't want to steal the ball from them. Like, <laughs> you know um anyways that's my, my point about saying that now I'm rambling is um you know finding that middle ground between applying pressure and then just saying hey it's all good you know everybody's wins in some way or another it's it's a very interesting mm -hmm. balance and where we're going to go with this I don't know so we need people like you that do have experience that aren't like tattered and torn and so hurt that they just want everybody to win so they don't feel that right. versus like you know let's figure out how we can make progress in terms of you know recognizing hey it's okay to be competitive it's okay to want to win and it's okay to win it's okay it's okay to lose but also to want to do better the next time mm -hmm. exactly. so anyway and, that's my and ramble. <laughs> I yeah I like how you're sort of of the mind of like these kids can get better at this it's not just like well they're a head case write them off or right, this person right. this person's tough they're great top five so I like that you have that approach of like yeah this is something we can work on rehab improve like there's there's some growth mindset there I wish we had Roshin on this call because she would have some great insights as a um licensed mental health counselor oh yeah. <laughs> totally and so what would you say is has been the most rewarding part of your job. I don't want to. No, yeah, that's so tough. Um, you know, very selfishly, I get a lot from my job. And I think that that is something that's, you know, I think there are a lot of people that work in collegiate coaching, especially for cross country and track that are real givers. And, um, you know, it's all about nurturing and it's all about care. And, and I, I, I feel that way too. I also, I'm the best me that I can be when I'm coaching. And so I think that's something that's really important for me. Um, and this time away has really shown me that, you know, to, for me, like I don't thrive in a work-life balance environment. Like I thrive in a, I have 15 minutes of downtime. So I'm just going to like, just get into it. Right. I'm a, I kind of just got to keep going. And I have a wonderful partner. My husband is, is really supportive of my career and has been throughout. So, you know, we both kind of, we're nonstop. So this has been a really wonderful career path for me. Um, so, so I, I always like to lead with that because I don't, I'm not mother Teresa. Like I'm paid a lot of money to coach women to run around a little rubber circle and around a golf course really fast. Um, so I get a lot out of it. Um, but I, I think for me, it's, 
it's seeing that everyone from Alicia, uh, Alicia Monson, who just signed her pro contract with on and had her, her very protracted COVID season, um, crushed it, ran two huge PRs, like so excited for her. She's the future of, uh, of, you know, that next wave of American distance running on the pro scene. But, you know, seeing women like her and then seeing some of our walk-ons, um, here at Wisconsin and just knowing that everyone can improve and, the improvements we see, we quantify in terms of running a lot, but, you know, it's watching them kind of like I was saying before, like be comfortable with pressure, be comfortable being on the hot seat because you're right, Alicia, you can't, it, there's no participation trophies in life. Like no one's going to say like, here's the raise that you earned because you just haven't asked for it, but you know, good job, right? That, that mm -hmm. doesn't really happen. What we are trying to do is create women that feel comfortable being in the hot seat, feel comfortable being pulled lots of different directions and being secure enough in themselves that they know that they can excel. Um, that certainly applies to elite level distance running, but it also applies to, you know, those women that are going to try really hard to make a big 10 squad. <laughs> and, but you know, when they're doctors or when they're lawyers or when they're mothers or, or whatever they end up doing with their lives, when they feel empowered and trust themselves enough as exceptional women. Um, watching that evolution take place is, is awesome. And sometimes you see it really clearly, sometimes you have to take that step back and say like, what's happened over the last four years? But I feel really privileged to be able to work in this space where I kind of get de facto trust from these incredible 18 to 22 year olds who you know, are doing the work and they are like rolling their sleeves up and digging into who they are and who they want to be and the potential disconnects between those two people and, mm -hmm. and trying to make those ends meet. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it gives you life. Hey everyone who's keeping track with us. It's Molly here. And I'm gonna take a little break to give you a workout nutrition tip sponsored by Gatorade Endurance. I get asked a lot about marathon fueling, strategies for race day, and training. The goal in training is to dial it in for race day. I do that with everything. I dial it in with my shoes, my paces, the long run, and I even sometimes practice wearing my race uniform. I rely on the Gatorade Endurance products, especially the gels, for marathon training. The gels sit great in my stomach, and they have refreshing, natural flavors, and they're a really easy consistency for fueling at top speed, which is nice. Um, it makes sense to dial it all in by practicing your fueling on training runs and to practice the things you plan to replicate on course or in your virtual race day coming up. You can see what form is easiest for you, the gels, the chews, or the drinks, how much of them you can handle, how often to take them, and how to get those carbs from table to hand to mouth, all while not missing a step. Even though there aren't races on the calendar this season, we can spend a few months dialing in the details so on race day, being our best will be as familiar as your favorite long run route. Head over to GatoradeEndurance.com and use our discount code of TRACK20 for a 20% off. There are lots of things that are going on right now, obviously, one of them being COVID. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can we talk a little bit, you talked about the, all these things that change and within four years, who would have guessed that you would be coaching and bringing on students in the middle of a global pandemic? So like, can we talk a little bit about coaching right now? I saw that you brought students to campus. Um, it seems as if a lot of universities also have international students. Can you tell us a little bit about um, 
how you brought students to campus, what you were doing and challenges that you're facing now? Yeah, so we, I feel pretty lucky. We've been able to, to get all of our, our women here and our men on the, on the men's side. Um, that was touch and go with our internationals in particular. There was a lot of daily check-ins, like the embassies aren't open, the embassies aren't open. I don't you know, call them every day. I think probably the embassies in the Netherlands and Germany never want to hear my name spoken ever again, because I was just telling them like, tell them your coach told you, tell them your coach told you to call again. Tell them. So we got those girls here, which was fantastic. Those women here. Um, it, that said, I really wanted to get my group together because I'm really lucky to have a group of women that are a really close-knit community. They, they are better as a group. But the challenge with COVID is the group is problematic. Um, so, you know, early on last year, it was weekly Zoom meetings, lots of just, here's the plan. Let's talk through your questions. I'm available. I don't think I've texted or called as much as I did from March to July. I mean, it's just insanity. Um, just trying to make sure that everyone feels the connections that they need to and feel supported because it's hard when they're isolated. And my group in particular right now is not that group that can go off to their little separate corner of the world and be happy, just kind of cranking out solo. Like this team in particular really gets a lot of energy out of being together. Um, that said, like it's challenging to have them here now because I have my big priorities to keep them safe and keep them healthy. So we're doing a lot of you know, running in pods and staying socially distant when we're, you know, I see a lot of coaches on the, on social media right now where there it looks like it's a normal year. And I'm like, how are you having your team run like that? Like that just uh -huh. seems like oh, I can see the COVID haze around them. So uh -huh. it has been, um, it has been a bit of a challenge to do that in a way that feels meaningful to them, but also keeps uh -huh. them safe um, and keeps uh -huh. our community safe. And the, the reality of, of being a student athlete in Madison, Wisconsin is if you're in head to toe Wisconsin gear, and you're running six minute miles, everyone knows who you are. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's really important to pull that mask up when you're passing people on the greenways out of courtesy and out of respect. And, mm -hmm. and that's been a challenging kind of lesson to hit home. It's like, ladies, it's not just about you. It's about everyone. Cause we're going to go out and you're going to use this park and we're going to use this greenway. Unless we're on, you know, our cross country course, um, we have to kind of keep our community in mind. And that's, you know, not in the job description. Um, right. And so that's been, I think, really tough for me and my colleagues kind of in the NCAAs. We're not, you know, epidemiologists and we aren't public health officials, but we're sort of, because no one had a plan for this. Um, uh -huh. I think every coach in every sport is sort of the governor of their own little island trying to figure out how to make that work. And that has uh -huh. been tough for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's great that you're also just teaching them. It's not just about them. I think right. that's going to hopefully live after this, you know, um, when it comes to being a team player. So, I mean, that's what we're hoping for. I think that's where everyone's heads were at at the beginning of this and everyone got really tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, but so along with that, you know, what do you see the future of the University of Wisconsin um, in, for cross country and track and field? I mean, there are other sports that are likely to live and I know track and field programs are being cut left and right do yeah. you have any concerns in that department you For know you so being a big 10 school yeah yeah Minnesota just just cut their men's indoor and outdoor track uh teams which is you know the, the only the most recent news I mean it's been um it's been a tough a tough couple of years I think for for track and field in general um 
I feel really lucky to be well supported by this athletic department, um, especially as a women's program. I think we're in, we are valued members of our community as is our men's program. I mean, having a, a history of success here doesn't hurt, but I mean, I think the challenge that everyone's facing right now is, you know, the NCAA is, is not in crisis mode, but it definitely in a tough space in terms of, you know, who would have thought that, you know, six months ago that something as unexpected as this would, would bring so many big conferences and athletic programs to their knees, you know, without football and basketball and some of these other big sports. Um, for me as a former track athlete, I, in, from middle school on, you know, kind of feel that like, ah, oh, football, man, those guys stink. You know, we, why don't we get the attention? And this has been a really good moment for me to, to kind of take that step back. Like I've been telling my women, you know, we're all in a community and you know, we are all at, you know, in this athletic department, all a part of a team. There's nothing I want more than, than football to be able to play safely and healthily um, because they're a huge part of what Wisconsin athletics is. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, some of these programs that, that do so much for our community um, really create this space for us. So it has been um, at this university a really remarkable experience because I do think it's been kind of a, a catalyzing moment um, where all of us kind of feel like we're all in this together. You know, we've cut our expenditures, extra expenditures, basically to zero from, you know, women's cross country all the way up. And we're running... A, a kind of the kind of lean ship that I don't think athletic departments of this size have seen in two decades, <laughs> uh, which it, it sort of, it, it, it takes all hands. It takes everyone pulling in the same direction. You know, the big 10 announced a couple of hours ago that we're going to be starting football again in October. Um, and, you know, my biggest concerns as a coach and as a human being is that we make sure those men are safe <laughs> and are healthy. But as a, as a University of Wisconsin employee, I'm like, all right, great, let, let's go. Let's figure out a way to make this work for everyone. So I think mm -hmm. it's been good for me as a coach to recontextualize my relationship with this athletic department and then to model that relationship with the women in, on my program. Because, you know, I think five years ago, I'd been like, hey, screw football. Those guys get so much. They're spoiled. And now it's like, nah, those guys are going to potentially put themselves in harm's way just to keep this athletic department moving forward you know, mm. the same way I respect the sacrifice of my women, you know, stripping down all that gear and running a, a regional or national championship in, you know, basically a spandex bathing suit in the snow, you know, those guys are, are, are kind of in the yoke pulling for us now. And I think it's been a good experience for all of us to kind of recontextualize how we see all that. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I've used to feel the same way about football, especially at Notre Dame. I'd be like, they get all the attention. And now I'm like, they really should get paid. You know, there's, <laughs> there's no guarantee they're going to come out of this school in one piece. There's no guarantee they're going to make it to the NFL. They're making I mean, the school hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. Um, so yeah, that you when you get on the coaching side of things or far enough away from the college athlete side, you start to see like the bigger picture. Um, which reminds me of asking, Mackenzie, do you, I know you just got to Wisconsin and was it summer of last year, last yep, summer? August of last year. Um, but what's your big picture? Like, do you see yourself rising in the collegiate, like administrative ranks? Like, would you want to be director of a program? Um, is co the coaching part your passion? Like, what do you see in your future in college coaching? 
That's a great question. You know, I, I do feel really lucky to be in the position that I'm in now. You know, I've, I've had a relatively short career as a college coach. You know, I, I've been in the game for a while, but a lot of my peers have been doing this, you know, quite a bit longer than I have. Um, I, w- I love this lifestyle. I love this profession, you know, this calling. Um, and as a female coach, especially a female coach of women, but a, a female coach in general of men and women, you know, we just had our, our most recent, you know, kind of women in college coaching report come out. And I think women's track and field is still in the low thirties, I believe for representation for head coaches. So for me, absolutely being a head coach is something and a director of a program is something that I, I aspire to. Um, and I feel really lucky to see women like Marisa Powell um, at Washington and, you know, Helen Winters is at Oregon now, but she was at USF before. I mean, there's a, an incredible group, uh, Carol Smith Gilbert, you know, there's an amazing group of women that are doing big things in on the power five level as directors. And ultimately that's where I'd like to go. Um, I also think for me, the process is a big deal. I am on an incredible staff now. Our director of track and field and cross country, Mick Byrne has been, an incredible resource for me in, in, a, in one short year, a really, really effed up year, uh, just in general with COVID and all the cancellations and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I, I am, I've climbed the ladder relatively quickly, but I also know that that progress at some point is going to slow down and I have goals to continue forward, but I like to kind of live in this moment and know that I'm a part of a great program now with a great group of women that have big goals to be on the podium at NCAAs whenever that happens again. So I'm I'm pretty content um, to kind of learn and grow and develop myself, you know, because that's the, that's the message to my women is we've got to, we've got to plumb the depths of who you are to be your best self. And I feel like I'm sort of in that phase as well. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where we might've talked a little bit more about the invisible population um, you know, women, and of course, moving, talking about moving up to the ranks includes other topics for women that have not ultimately been included in how a woman can climb a ladder if she does choose motherhood. And I just want to say a quick list disclaimer to everyone listening. Um, Molly, myself, Roisin would never ask a woman about her choice of having children. Um, and if that's something in the ranks for her, I did talk with Mackenzie previous to this and asked her what if if we can talk about this and if this is on the table and for the sake of just bringing these conversations to light and giving all of our listeners an opportunity to kind of see what all of this looks like um we felt that this was helpful to to kind of talk about so um again if your mind has changed today Mackenzie no big deal this is totally a personal <laughs> matter so um so don't I go like, asking ladies when they're gonna have a baby but we're doing right. it now. <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing it right now right for the sake of education <laughs> um so you know how do you how do you see that playing out like motherhood potential mm-hmm. motherhood are something that you're thinking about if you you know you talked about how you really are into the grind and only having a 15 minutes downtime that would change dramatically um you know, maybe if not for you personally, for women in your industry, how do you see this all that playing out, motherhood included into climbing the ranks of coaching? You know, and that's such a, a huge topic. I think just today I was reading statistics talking about the proportion of women that are dropping out of the workforce right now to, to either support their children with virtual learning or to become, reassume the role of primary um, caregivers to their children because they're furloughed or they're un- or you, they're they're not making enough money to afford childcare which is just 
heartbreaking, <laughs> um, you know, because we've made such huge strides in terms of women um, feeling comfortable embracing a role as as a, a worker and outside of the home worker, um, which isn't to say that that is, you know, the goal for every woman, but, you know, it certainly is an opportunity that you would want every woman to be able to choose or, or not choose. Um, so seeing that was re a really tough thing for me to see. And, you know, in coaching, I think the choice to be a mother or to be a serious coach is one that kind of every woman has to grapple with. Not to say, I mean, so many women that are mothers are those incredible coaches that I've list listed, but I think women in this industry face huge pressure and huge judgment um, when they do decide to have families. For me personally, you know, in conversations with my husband, parenthood is not something that's on our radar right now. Um, we're both really fulfilled by our lives and our dogs and kind of our freedom. We're kind of selfish. We like to be able to like pop in the car and go on a camping trip. Um, not that you can't do that with kids. It just makes it harder. Um, but I do think it's really tough and it's a challenging place to be in as a, a childless female, because you're right. It, the question comes up all the time. I'm 34 years old. Um, if I have like a big burrito at lunch, people are like, maybe this is finally the week she tells us she's knocked up. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a tough deal. Um, and it's a challenging one too, because you see women in track and field coaching, you know, and when they do choose to become mothers and if they're visibly pregnant and to meet, there's definitely conversations like, oh, well, I guess they're not recruiting next year or man, her career's over. So it's a really tough one to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm a female coach. I'm really trying to like embody this women first holistic approach to coaching women, but I'm also kind of ignoring this one huge part about, you know, one of the great things about being a woman um, and choosing not to do that. And so that creates kind of a difficult balancing act. Um, and it's tough to feel like, okay, in some ways it's preferable in the world of sports to not have the attachment of children. But in some ways it's also like, well, why don't you have children? Um, so that's been a, you know, an interesting personal struggle. And I think it's one that a lot of women in sport struggle with that we don't really talk about like, okay, so I'm not a mom. Um, but I'm not less than because I've chosen to not be a mom. I'm also not more than because I've chosen to not be a mom, but there isn't really uh, a dialogue. And I am so excited. There is starting to become a dialogue for the women that do choose to be mothers and at least mm -hmm. so much. Um, in terms of our sport specifically, but sport in general, of kind of bringing the spotlight to your life does not end when you choose to become pregnant, choose to become a mother. It's not an illness. It's not a deficiency. It is quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, but it does create like an interesting space for women like me that aren't interested in that, you know, at this time. And, and like you said, like that could change on the, the drop, drop of a hat, but um, it is an interesting space to be in as a woman, like this whole industry of sports and coaching is a really interesting space to be in as a woman. Um, and mm -hmm. it's any easier to navigate, um, regardless of if you, and what your choices for starting a family are. Yeah, I love that insight. I mean, it, it is true. Like not everyone's choice is that, but it doesn't make you less than or more than um, as a woman. And I think, again, when we talk about starting this dialogue, it's still knowing that all right, if that is something that does happen to me, even if it's like choice and then I choose, I, I want to move forward with birthing this child, you know, oh my gosh, what if my world gets shaken up in something like that, you know, and having that be a part of the conversation and how people can even think about it, even if it's something they didn't necessarily choose. And then other things that happen with 
choosing, you know, for some women that think about it a little bit later, um, should they, you know, a little bit later, you know, in terms of fertility and finding out that could be an issue for them if they are rolling up into years where, you know, fertility isn't as um, cut and dry. And then they want to do things like IVF, like how are we having those conversations when the, the majority of uh, people at the top are men who haven't had to think of this conversation and still allowing there to be a lane for women to navigate. Um, and we're able, you know, those men at the top were able to crush their thirties when they're becoming, yeah. you know, if I think if yeah. a lot of women in my industry felt, maybe, maybe I'm speaking for women unfairly here, but you could see the utility and saying like, I'm just going to press pause. I'm going to work for 10 years and I'm going to start my family when I'm 40. If there was mm -hmm. no, you know, both kind of age and also fertility implications of that, I could see that being really attractive because so many of us coaches, you know, male or female really grind during, you know, 25 to 40. That's kind mm -hmm. of where you make your career. It's where you're, you know, working the crazy hours and you're hustling all the time. And, you know, I spend, even in a year like this one, when things are so strange, I spend so much of my time recruiting and not right now, but normally traveling. And it's been wild for me over the last six months. I've made a bunch of friends in our neighborhood. These incredible women who have college kids that are, uh, are iron women and they just kick my butt up and down the greenways on runs. And I'm like, you guys are 55. Like how is this? <laughs> um, but you know, like it's, but I, I had to tell mom, like, I'm going back to work. Like, I'm, you're never going to see me again. Like, <laughs> I'll try to make as many runs as I can. But like, I'm just yeah. you guys now. Because it is, it's, it's, a, it's a tough time for that balance. And I have so much respect for, you know, my age peers in coaching. You know, um, I think about women like Angela Rucker, at, who's an associate head coach at Penn State, who's got a, a really young daughter. And she's managing, you know, just within the conference, she's managing, you know, that motherhood role so beautifully but i mm -hmm. i don't know how she does it um yeah so it is it's tall not, as well yeah there's, there's less choice you know we talk about choice a lot uh for women and there's less choice you know if you want to be a mother now of course for for you know for me and my husband like adoption is what we've we've discussed the most and that choice can happen later in life but if you are into naturally starting a family it, there's a there's a window <laughs> Biology is a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that window doesn't really always dovetail beautifully with the kind of lifestyle, right or wrong, that college coaches are expected to live. Totally. Mm -hmm. And then in a lot of industries like that. Um, um, well, thank you for sharing that with us, honestly. I think um, the more honest dialogue we can have about everything um, pertaining to women's sport, uh, the more we can continue to open doors and break through glass ceilings, cement ceilings, brick walls, you know, whatever it might feel like to any individual that's listening. So um, Coach Mackenzie Vattenberger, um, the purpose of this podcast is to better tell the stories of women in sport. Um, you know, we're telling the stories in the month, this month of um, amazing women in sport in the age of COVID. And so you are one of them. And we thank you so much for being here with us. What are some parts of your story? I mean, I think we dug a lot and pulled a lot out, but what are some parts of your story that you wish were better told um, or that are, you wish were better told about the sport that you're in? I just think right now, you know, what inspires me every day when I go to work is just the incredible resiliency that I see in this athletic department. And I, and I think we're seeing that nationwide. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of attention being given in, in the college world in particular to kind of the um, lack of seriousness that college kids are, are approaching with COVID. And you're seeing, even at this school, you're seeing rates of infection skyrocketing. And, you know, we're saying, oh, these, these millennials are the ones that are, are spreading COVID. And I think it's been really affirming for me as a coach of young people to, to go to work to walk through the halls and, and see, you know, my women for sure, but all of the athletes here taking it so seriously and, and mm -hmm. realizing that the privilege that they were all really comfortable with, a, you know, six months ago, a year ago, um, it is something that they're really grateful for now. Um, I would love to see, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about the responsibility of getting back to sport and we're hinging a lot of that around football and basketball. But I also think there is an incredible um, story to be told about these young men and women that are overcoming something that a lot of us have a hard time overcoming at, from a mental standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, mm -hmm. the isolation, the challenge, the fear, the anxiety, you know, going out and going for a run or, you know, putting up your 500 jump shots or hitting the weight room and all of the crazy hoops you have to jump through with the masks and the hand sanitizer and the COVID tests. I mean, the commitment and dedication and sacrifice of these young people right now is it's powerful and it's awe-inspiring um and i'm i'm looking forward to a time when hopefully you know and i don't say all that to downplay the suffering that's going on because of covid or you know we've got a lot of a lot of really hard stuff going on in the world in the in our country right now um and, mm -hmm. and seeing, seeing my women and the mostly white women's cross-country team uh, dive into the Black Lives Matter and how they can be better mm -hmm. anti-racists and co-conspirators uh, against uh, systemic racism and seeing them respond to the wildfires out west and and then also show up for weekly COVID testing and wear their masks and social distance. It, it makes me really proud to be in this industry right now. And I'm looking forward to those stories being told. I love it. I love it so much. You're, it sounds like you have just like amazing influences all around you, whether it be your peers, whether it be your, your students um, or your athletes, student athletes. Um, I think there was one more question not to go backwards. Molly wanted to ask, um, and I, I thought of it because of everything that you're talking about, about this generation. So Molly. Yeah. So you did mention all the things that these kids are going through and aware of right now. Um, how I hear, I hear coaches talk about this. How is this generation different from, let's say, our generation? Um, yeah. The older school coaches talk about their generation. But have you noticed differences? And have you, like, adapted your coaching to it? So the most... <sighs> The biggest difference I notice, I think there's a lot of conversations right now about how soft this generation is. Uh, and I'll just yeah, be really upfront about that. You know, they are the uh, particip participation trophy generation. You know, everyone got a medal. Um, which is oversimplification, in, in my opinion. You know, there's some of that for sure. And there, you know, some of my role is being that hard ass that's like, nah, man, like, that just sucked. Like, I'm not going to put lipstick on this turd. Like, that wasn't good. Uh, and that's, I think, I'm the first person to say that in some ways, and especially clearly in some ways. I'm often the first woman to say that to these women. Um, but they are so 
aware of who they are and they've, they've mm. been told and asked and encouraged to examine their feelings and be cognizant of others' feelings and be responsive to a community for so long. And they're so interconnected. I don't know how they live their lives on social media because I know I couldn't have handled it when I was in college. Thank goodness Instagram yeah. was a thing um, just because of my hair, but for lots of other reasons. <laughs> um, but they are th this sense of community in the sense of like responsibility to community and responsiveness to community is remarkable. Um, this generation when they're hopefully our age and older and taking over the world and starting families of their own and, and really flexing into who they are as adults, I think is capable of incredible things. Uh, I'm constantly blown away by how responsive they are to each other. Um, for a cross country coach, when we're a team sport, incredible. Uh, and my women will run through brick walls for each other in ways that I think only precious few teams did kind of in the old days, you know, when, you know, we were so, we were so bottled up in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, those of us that were able to kind of break that shell were really successful, but I think a lot of athletes didn't break that shell. And I think that shell is already opened mm -hmm. uh, for this group and they're so much more comfortable with ex examining kind of who they are and who their groups are, um, mm -hmm. which is awesome. It's so cool. I, I like, don't get it. I'm like, whoa, you guys are really into this. And it's great. Like it helps me. It helps me kind of uh, take a step back and look back at, at our communities. But it's, it's very exciting, especially in, you know, we obviously had the attack on, on Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a couple of weeks ago. And seeing, you know, my 19 year old white girls be outraged and you know, immediately go to their, you know, teammates of color and their black teammates and say like, I want you to know that I support you and I care about you and I know you're angry and I want to amplify your voice. We had a uh, Black Lives Matter march within the athletic department here uh, a week ago. And I mean, Jesus, like the only thing that got us in the streets when we were in college was, you know, a beer mile. Yeah, a beer mile, right? Like we were, we just weren't, we weren't woke enough and this group, yeah. You know, I think that word gets overused, but they're, they're so awake to everything. Um, mm -hmm. It's really impressive. Yeah, I love that so much. Well, to the future generations, I, I, I think that's so great, Mackenzie, for you to just kind of uplift them more, because I do think, you know, this, this thing about getting older and then smashing the, the younger generation right. back in my day, you know, instead it's of a like, tale knowing, as old as time, <laughs> uh, uphill both ways in the snow. Yep. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and knowing that we need them in order for us to make positive changes and for growth to happen. So I thank you for pointing that out. I hope that, um, you know, people listening can remember to encourage the future generations. That's who's going to be holding, uh, upholding, you know, this world when we uh, kick it. So anyway, thank you so much for having, I mean, wait, sorry, let me reset that. Thanks for having us in your office, Mackenzie. Yes, thank you so much for having us in your office. Thank you so much for joining us on Keeping Track. And I know just as much as I'm trying to do this and Molly's trying to do this, we really appreciate you keeping track. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Thanks, Mackenzie. We're going to be rooting for you. Go Badgers. Appreciate it. <laughs> Go Badgers. <laughs> Bye, guys. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. One time. Yeah. Yeah. Keep track. Keep track.
Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.